Romans chapter 5. We're going to read verses 12 through to 21. Let's read Romans chapter 5 from verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace And the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life. For all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the Word of God. Well, this afternoon we are asking the question, what is original sin? Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but our society actually talks about sin all the time. It just doesn't use the S word. Have you noticed that we're actually constantly debating what is right and wrong? Uh, Almost every movie I watch seems to wrestle with the question of good and evil. What it means to be good and bad. Are you a good person? Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? I think the best films, they, they show how complex that question is. Uh, They show that every person has both good and bad in them. You know the film, it it starts with this terrible criminal and then by the end of the movie you've grown to love them and you're actually rooting for them to go free and not even have to serve their prison sentence. 
because we discover that the dirty crook actually has a heart of gold. And we discover that he's, he's really battling against his upbringing. And he had these bad role models, and yeah, he made some foolish choices when he was young. And, and he's struggling with the fact that no one's ever really believed in him, no one's ever really loved him. If you've been paying close attention, you'll see that again and again, Hollywood is actually diagnosing for us what's wrong with the world, what's wrong with us, and what the cure is. And I think, most of the time, the answer is basically this. We're, we're basically good, but we've all got foolish mistakes and, and traumatic experiences in our past that we need to overcome. And so we're told that the good we're longing for is within us, but we need to overcome what's holding us back. We need to affirm ourselves, and we need to become the person that we always knew we could be. Now, here in church, we also talk about what it means to be good and bad a lot, don't we? Uh, you've probably heard Christians talk about the S word, sin. But what does it mean to be a sinner? Does it mean that we're basically good people uh, who sometimes do the wrong thing? If, if that's true, then the solution to that problem is, is going to be about trying to maximize the good that's within you uh, and learning to say no to the bad, isn't it? And, and you might think, well, that's basically what Christianity is. It's about people who are trying to be as good as they can so that when they die and they arrive at the gates of heaven, God will say, well, I can see that you've done your best. Welcome in. I was chatting to my barber a couple of weeks ago and he told me that he thought that was what Christianity was all about. And he was shocked when I said to him, do you know what? I actually don't think there will be any good people in heaven. That shocked him. He was shocked that I didn't think I was a good guy and that I didn't think I was good enough to get into heaven. That might surprise you too. Uh, and if so, it could be that you haven't actually grasped what what Christianity is all about. It could be you haven't quite understood yet what the Bible says about sin and salvation. Because you see, the Bible, it forces us to go where we don't really want to go. It forces us to go deeper than Hollywood and to ask the questions that we'd rather avoid asking, like, well, if we're all basically pretty good then where does all the pain and hurt come from? Even in our own marriages, in our own homes, as well as in the world out there. And why can't we get this dark side under control? No matter how much we evolve, no matter how much education and freedom we get, no matter how much progress we make as a human race, The Bible says to us, what if sin is more powerful and more pervasive and more perverted than we thought? What if we aren't basically good people who sometimes do the wrong thing? What if that is actually a lie that is holding us back 
Think about that. That's a huge thing to say in our day. What if the true freedom and the true goodness that we're longing for comes through admitting that we aren't basically good and we can't fix ourselves? Let's turn to the Bible now and let's see what it says about original sin. And to answer these questions, we need to learn something about Adam, we need to learn something about ourselves, and we need to learn something about Jesus. So first, we need to learn something about Adam. The Bible tells us that to understand our sin, we actually need to understand something about Adam's sin because they're connected. Uh, So when we're talking about original sin, we're not talking about that first sin, the sin itself, but we're talking about the result of it. We're talking about how Adam's sin has affected us. That's original sin. Now, you might remember last week, Jack looked at Genesis 3. We saw Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden rebelling against God. And it turns out that was not just an isolated incident. Actually, that one sin has had a massive impact on the whole of humanity, including you and me. See see what it says in, in Romans 5, verse 12, which we just read before. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. How did sin and death enter the world? Through Adam's sin. How exactly does that work? Paul explains it further in verse 18. He says, One trespass, that means one sin, resulted in condemnation for all people. And then verse 19 he says, Through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. What's this saying? It's saying Adam wasn't just a random guy who messed things up for himself. No, Adam is our representative. When he stood in the garden and faced that test, it's as if we were standing there with him. And when he sinned, it's as if we sinned with him. He wasn't just acting for himself, he was acting for all his descendants. It's a bit like how our Prime Minister is um, the head of our federal government. And so when our Prime Minister decides to buy 50 new army helicopters, it would also be accurate to say, Australia has just decided to buy 50 new army helicopters. And in a similar way, Adam is the federal head of the human race, And when he sinned, he sinned for all of us. Legally speaking, what he did, we did. That means that Adam and Eve's curses apply to us. That's why work is so hard. That's why childbearing is so painful. That's why the whole natural world is decaying. Adam's curse is our curse. It also means that Adam's guilt is our guilt. All of us are born guilty before God because we're in Adam. We're not born in a neutral relationship with God, which could go either way. We are born in guilt. 
And it also means that Adam's punishment is our punishment. Paul will say a little later in Romans that the wages of sin is death for all of us because of Adam. Now, that is a big pill to swallow, isn't it? I gag on that pill every couple of years. Again, it just comes back up and I don't like it. I mean, it explains a lot about our world that Adam is our federal head. But how is it fair? We say, excuse me, God, I think I would like to choose a different representative, please. Can we have a do-over here? But that raises the question, well, what representative would you choose? Who would you choose? We need to be careful when we say that. Because who was it who chose Adam to be our representative? It was God, wasn't it? Our almighty, perfectly good and wise God. Are we accusing God of picking a dud? Think about that. If we're, if we're sitting here assuming that somehow God has screwed us over and that we're the innocent victims, then maybe we're actually confirming the worst about ourselves. Isn't that exactly the thought process that led Adam to sin? He doubted God's goodness. He felt like God was being unfair. So R.C. Sproul says, When we think like this, we are thinking like Adam's children. Such blasphemous thoughts only underline in red how accurately we were represented by Adam. Well, where does this leave us? Uh, we're trying to get to the bottom of our sin problem. We've just learned something very important about Adam. Because Adam was the head of the human race, because all of us are in him, we are all born legally guilty, condemned before God, deserving of judgment and death. That is a bleak start, but that's not all. Second, we also need to learn something about ourselves. Because we aren't just sinners legally because of Adam. We're also sinners internally. In, in our core, in our essence, our very nature, we are sinners. Your parents gave you more than just your, some, some hair color and some mannerisms. In Psalm 51, King David says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. From generation to generation to generation, Adam's sinful, corrupt nature has been spreading through the entire human race. Society tells us we sometimes do bad things, but deep inside we're basically good. Well, the Bible tells us the opposite. It tells us that inside we're basically corrupt and sinful. It says the problem isn't just with what you do. The problem is with who you are. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. The lion roars because he's a lion. 
He isn't a lion because he roars. This is what Jesus meant in Matthew 15 when he said, The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. Many other Bible passages tell us the same thing. Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Or back in Genesis 6, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Maybe you want to push back at this point. Are the thoughts of our hearts only evil all the time? That seems pretty extreme, doesn't it? Don't we still do good things? Don't we all know lovely, kind people? It's a good question. What do theologians mean when they talk about total depravity? Total depravity. Well, they're not saying that we're as bad as we possibly could be. It would be worse to murder your parents than to just disrespect them. But if we're totally depraved, totally sinful, it's because sin has totally affected every single part of us. There isn't a single part of you that hasn't been affected by sin. I don't have a single faculty that hasn't been profoundly damaged by sin. Uh, Dane Ortland he illustrates it by saying, if sin were the color blue, we do not occasionally say or do something blue. All we say, do, and think has some taint of blue. Now, are there different shades of blue? Yes. Would yelling at your kids in anger be a darker shade of blue than coveting someone's new car? Maybe. Is stealing worse than coveting? Probably, maybe. But the point is, every part of us is profoundly tinted with blue. You can smash two eggs on the ground and you can debate which one of them ended up more broken, uh, but at the end of the day, they're both smashed on the ground. And we might be tempted to doubt that, except that our actions, again and again and again, prove that we're sinful by nature, don't they? You know, I hate it that even my kindest action is tainted with pride. Haven't you found this in your experience? My, my best desires are tainted with selfishness. Even my best day is always less than perfect. Our society tells us that if only we could be free, if we could be free of our past trauma, free from negative thinking, free from restrictive rules, then our inner goodness would come out. But is that true? Australian pastor Andrew Hurd, he describes our sinful nature uh, like one of those shopping trolleys at Woolies, and as you're walking down the aisle, it just always veers off to the left. You know those ones? You just can't steer them. 
It has this inward bent to go in a certain direction. And you could drag that trolley to the top of a hill if you want. And you could give it a push and you could set it free. It's still going to veer off in the same direction, isn't it? The problem is our inner bent away from God. Our opposition to God is hardwired within us. It's not just that we don't love God as much as we should. It's that we're unable to love Him. We aren't just sick. We're spiritually dead. That's what it says in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. We were by nature deserving of wrath, it says. Hmm, but don't we have a free will, you say? I mean, can't we do what we want to do? Well, yes and no. I suppose that when Wednesday night comes around, you can use it however you please. Uh, you can go for a run. You can watch pornography. You can put on Christian praise songs. But the decision you make is still influenced by your nature. A dog can choose whether or not it will bark, but it can't choose whether or not it will fly. And in a similar way, your will and your choices are still bound by your desires. You're always going to choose what you most want. And what you want is determined by your base nature, your soul. Oh, can't I obey God if I want to? Can't I love God if I want to? Well, yes, in theory, that's true. But that's the thing. By nature, none of us want to. The Bible makes it clear that every human being is born with a base nature that is fundamentally sinful and God-hating. And a person, they can appear to live a really good moral life. They're all around us in Australian society. But if there is no love for God deep within her heart, then her morality is empty. Can you really claim to do good if you're the enemy of God who is the source of all good? Well, that's quite bleak, isn't it? We've now seen that our sin problem is bigger than we thought because it's linked all the way back to Adam, his sin, his guilt, his punishment. And we've seen that our sin problem goes deeper than we thought, that it reaches right into the core of our very natures and our desires. And the worst part is that there's nothing, there is nothing we can do about it. How can we wind back the clock and undo Adam's sin? How can we change the hard wiring of our sinful natures when by nature we don't even want to change? For some of us, this teaching this afternoon might be quite new and confronting. But for others of us who are already Christians, it might not be confronting at all because we've heard it many times before. But it's so important that we don't forget these truths. 
because the world around us is constantly trying to just water down our view of sin, taking it down from death level to sickness level. What happens when we start thinking like that? Well, if we're only sick, then the work of Jesus is not that amazing, is it? If we're only sick, then our salvation is a bit more like Jesus coming to us with a couple of Panadols and a glass of water rather than Jesus coming to us with the jaws of life while we're trapped in a car wreck with our hearts flatlining and he breaks us out. He pulls us out of the wreckage and he gives us CPR until we come back to life. That leads us to our third and our final point. We've learned something about Adam. We've learned something about ourselves. Now, lastly, we need to learn something about Jesus. Do you remember the question I asked at the start? What if the idea that we're basically good people is actually a lie that is holding us back? What if the way to true freedom and true goodness is to admit that we aren't basically good and we can't fix ourselves? Now, to most people, that sounds like self-esteem suicide, right? That sounds like the road to self-hatred and despair. But what if it wasn't? What if it was actually the road to awakening and to freedom and to hope? That's what the Bible tells us. It tells us not to fear Admitting our failures and inadequacies. Christianity is the surprisingly sweet experience of hitting rock bottom, standing at the bottom of the crevasse, stuck and losing all hope in yourself, only to look up and discover that Jesus is standing above you with strong arms and a rope in his hands. Come, come back to Romans 5 with me. See what it says. We've seen that Adam is our representative. He's this one man who has plunged us all into sin and death. We may not like that system, that one man for everyone system, but don't poo-poo it yet because look at what Paul says in verse 18. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Now that is glorious. There is a second Adam. That's it in a nutshell. There's a second Adam and he didn't make the same mistakes as the first Adam. He was born without a sinful nature. He was born without guilt. He was born without deserving death. And yet he died in our place. He traded places with us. And if you turn in faith to Jesus, then you will no longer be in Adam, but you will be in Jesus. What a transfer. Sometimes we can get pretty discouraged and burdened by sin, can't we? 
Sometimes we can't bring ourselves to watch another news bulletin and hear of yet another shooting or another rape or another corrupt politician. And we get weary of waking up in the morning and telling ourselves yet again, you're a good person, you can do it. And we groan under our sinful habits that seem to rule us sometimes. And we ache with guilt for past sins that we can't do anything about. And we grow weary of the sin war, waging war in our minds and our hearts and our bodies. And we're tired of constantly drifting in our love for God. And we're frustrated by how quickly our passion for, for righteousness, for evangelism just ebbs away. And we're disappointed because even our best efforts are always tainted by pride and selfishness. You know, you, you had such a good day with your kids. And then right near the end, you had to go and lose your temper. But you just really wanted to encourage and build up that person who you love. And then you went and put your foot in it and you said the wrong thing. And so we cry out with Paul in Romans 7, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And then he says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The point of Romans 5 verses 12 to 21 is this. Christ's work can completely overwhelm and undo all the effects of Adam's work. Yes, sin and death have ravaged our world in ways that we can scarcely fathom. Yes, death reigns because of Adam. But fear not, Christ is greater. Read verse 17 with me. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What happens when we go from being in Adam to in Christ? Well, the guilt, the condemnation, the death penalty, it is gone. It's what we call justification. We stand in court, in the docks, and God says, innocent, because of Christ. What about our sinful nature? Well, in Christ, we're born again. Made new on the inside. Yes, our flesh is still sinful till heaven, but our hearts are remade so that we actually want for the first time in our lives, actually want to know God, actually start to love Him. Justification, regeneration, and then comes sanctification. And if you're a Christian, that's where you are right now. And it is the lifelong process of fighting those sinful desires that still live within us. More and more killing sin, growing more and more in righteousness, it is God every day fixing that trolley so that it rolls a little bit straighter. 
and then one day his work in us will be complete. And that's glorification. When we are perfected without any trace of sin, all the effects of the fall are undone. The battle is over and we live forevermore in perfect loving relationship with God again and in a world full of people who really are really good inside and out. How wonderful it is to be in Christ, the second Adam, the far better Adam. Let's praise God for this now. Thank you for Jesus, Lord God. Thank you for sending another Adam, another man, to set us free from sin, from guilt, from judgment, from pain, from suffering, from death, from being your enemies and being headed towards the most terrible eternal fate. Thank you for Jesus, the righteous one. Thank you that our salvation is a free gift. That you wash away all of our sin. You change our very natures. You change the very things that we desire. Please continue that work, we pray. Keep us close to you. Keep us far from sin. Keep us sharp and ready to fight. Keep us resting in your grace, remembering that we are forgiven and completely righteous in Christ. Bring us home, we pray, to be with Jesus forever. Amen.